Okay, if you've got a Bible on you, why don't you um, grab your Bible, why don't you pull it out now, uh, and turn to Mark's Gospel today. Um, Mark's Gospel, chapter 4, and we're going to be reading verses 1 to 20. Uh, and if you don't have a Bible on you, that's okay. The words will appear on the screen behind me. So that's Mark 4, verses 1 to 20, and this is God's Word. Again, Jesus began to teach by the lake. The crowd that gathered around him was so large that he got into a boat and he sat in it out on the lake while all the people were along the shore at the water's edge. He taught them many things by parables and in his teaching said, listen, a farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path and the birds came and they ate it up. Some fell in rocky places where it did not have much soil and it sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants so that they did not bear again. Still other seed fell on good soil. It came up, grew, and produced a crop, some multiplying 30, some 60, some 100 times. Then Jesus said, whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. And when he was alone, The twelve and others around him asked him about the parables. He told them, the secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you, but to those on the outside, everything is said in parables, so that they may be ever seeing, but never perceiving, and ever hearing, but never understanding. Otherwise, they might turn and be forgiven. Then Jesus said to them, don't you understand this parable? How then will you understand any parable? The farmer sows the word. Some people are like seed along the path where the word is sown. And as soon as they hear it, Satan comes and takes away the word that was sown in them. Others, like seed sown on rocky places, hear the word and at once receive it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. Still others, like seed sown among thorns, hear the word. But the worries... Of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth and the desires for other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. Others, like seeds sown on good soil, hear the word, accept it, and produce a crop, some 30, some 60, some 100 times what was sown. And we thank God for his word as it still speaks to us today. There's obviously some sort of Formula One race going on out in the middle of the city centre today. Sorry you're all missing that. It sounds an awful lot more exciting than me reading. Anyway, if this is your first time dropping in with us today, or maybe you've just not been for a couple of weeks, um, we're into our second week in a series uh, that's going to press into what the kingdom of heaven means for us, right? And to do that, we're looking at stories, right? That's how Jesus taught. It's one of the quirks of what it means to follow Jesus, that the person that we're following taught in what is quite a unique way, right? It's not like the philosophers of the age. It's not like a sermon that you would hear like this. It's not like a teacher as you would sit through a lecture, right? He taught in a really unique way. He taught in stories. And the question is what the kingdom of heaven claims on our lives as we press into it and pray, your kingdom come, your will be done in Belfast or in my life as it is in heaven. That's the question. And to that answer, Jesus told stories. He consistently told stories. And this week, the kingdom of heaven is like a sower. 
One of my favorite things throughout all of lockdown was the spate of emoji quizzes that went on in the world, right? I, I mean, as somebody who just generally hates emojis, you will never have got a text with, from me containing an emoji because I don't believe in them, right? Anyway, but these quizzes, right, they were everywhere during lockdown. And being your super mature and serious, not to mention extremely godly and good-looking leadership team, uh, we spent at least a whole day one day from our own different homes doing an emoji quiz, right? Now, the good news at this stage is that it wasn't just any emoji quiz, right? Because we're so spiritual, it was a Bible character emoji quiz, right? And just to get a little window into who we are as a people, you are now all also going to get to be part of our emoji quiz today, right? So, uh, our leadership team is not allowed to answer these unless we get really stuck, okay? Uh, the first one of our emoji quiz is this. Does anybody know who this might be? Good grief, Lucy Ray. You're far too keen. Yes, the answer is evil. Right, number two, who is this? What is wrong with you? Lucy Ray. Oh, did she? I'm appalled. Right, number three, you're not allowed to answer anymore. Number three? Mike, uh, right, these are all easy ones. Number four. Oh. No, who? Noah, no, not Noah. The, the name is actually in the room somewhere. Come on, you can do it. I'm sure you can get it. The first one. It, Lydia, well done. Jill Mulligan, the holiest person in the room. Uh, the last one, who is this? The best thing about this is that I get to see all of your faces while like, the cogs are turning furiously. Come on, who is this? The middle, is a cup, the middle one is a cup of tea. Yes, Jill Mulligan wins this morning's emoji quiz. You win uh, an elbow pump because we can't hug. Well done. Congratulations. So, emoji quizzes, right? Here's the thing, right? When it comes to answering these questions, you have to know the code, right? You have to know what each one of these little things means. And I was absolutely terrible at the emoji quiz because I don't ever use emojis. So for like the first half hour while everyone was like bombing answers and I was like, I, I, I do not know what these things are. I don't know what it is, right? At least that's my excuse. And our passage today, right? Our passage today, the parable of the sower, it had a context, and that context was all about the code. The context was all about the code, right? In many ways, the context of the day in Israel was like the contents of what lots of churches are like every Sunday. One commentator describes the picture as, in Jesus' context, almost everyone thought they were among God's people. As Jesus spoke in his day, almost everyone thought they were among his people. And that was significant, right, for all sorts of reasons. It means that mostly they were invested in the story in some way. They knew or they thought they knew where they were and what they were waiting for. In many ways, they thought they knew where they were in the story, and therefore they thought they knew where the story was going. You see, the imagery of seed time and harvest that Jesus speaks in today, they've been around for years. They were common kind of religious talk. They were Bible themes, and they knew it. Isaiah, Jeremiah, others had all spoken this way, and it was all about how God the Creator would act to redeem His people from their sins, rescue them from exile, deliver them from oppression, right? That's what the imagery meant, or that's what they thought it meant. They all knew that. 
And so as Jesus starts to speak in parables with the same imagery that they believed in, it was all basically about stuff that they already knew. In their heads, they're thinking, oh, I already know what this means, right? It's all about delivery from exile, delivery from oppression, all of that sort of stuff, that the good and the bad would be divided. And of course, in every scenario, right, when the good and the bad are divided, you're always on the good side, right? It's always some other out there that's always the bad side, right? The good and the bad would be divided, and that the others would be judged. So they knew that, right? And they wouldn't be pouring out of their homes to follow this rabbi for that, right? They knew that. They'd heard this sort of stuff before. There's no way that they can pour out of their homes to hear this. They came out because they had this sense that Jesus had something to do with it. They came out because they had a sense that Jesus had something to do with all of this stuff, all of this imagery, all of the hopes that were being built up. He, he, he must have something to do with it. There's something different about his life. Jesus had something to do with it, that this was beginning to happen. Maybe, just maybe, it's beginning to come true, the kingdom. Maybe, maybe, maybe this guy has got something to do with it. And they were reading the code, right? And all of the symbols of the code pointed to the kingdom coming, probably by some sort of military might and force. They thought that you know, all of the evil was going to be swept away. The oppressors were going to be crushed under the hand of this new military leader that in a blaze of glory, right, all of the kingdom would come. That's what they thought was going to happen. That's what the signs pointed to. And when he started to talk about harvest and seed time, that's where their minds have gone. Except as Jesus arrives, begins to teach, and the miracles begin to happen, right? If you want to get a snapshot of that, just read the first three chapters of Mark's gospel that lead up to here, right? The problem was that the pictures didn't line up with the code. What was happening didn't line up with what they thought was meant to happen. What was going on is what these people will be thinking. And when Jesus says, whoever has ears to hear, let them hear, right? What he's really saying in that moment is, I know this isn't obvious. I know you're going to have to think about this. You're going to need to wrestle to get to the heart of the meaning of what I'm saying. You see, even the disciples would have been surprised, right? They weren't expecting the kingdom to come in stealth and the mixed responses of people that heard him. They didn't expect that, but it turns out that this was and still is God's way of working in the world. And the thing is that we're still surprised by it today. We still look at our lives and think the kingdom comes like here. The kingdom comes through me. The kingdom comes in my workplace. The kingdom comes in my family life. The kingdom comes in my friendship circles. Like, how? You see, the truth is everybody thought they were in. And the parable of the sower is really about how for those in whom the kingdom has taken root, you'll bear great fruit. That's why it says, you know, right up to a hundredfold, the fruit will be massive. The sort of faith that was serious, persistent, and perceptive, right? That's what he's saying. The first thing he's saying is that it's serious. It has to be a serious faith because right at that moment coming to hear Jesus was the hot ticket, right? People came out to see him. Crowds beget crowds. People begin to think, oh, something's happening there. Even if you don't really believe anything, you're going out because there's crowds coming out to hear this Jesus guy. There's people talking about it. And after all, there was like the preaching, the miracles, the exorcisms, the healings, and the controversy, right? Controversy is good press. So they're coming out to see Jesus because of that. And so what Jesus is getting at is people that are serious, firstly. People that are persistent, secondly, because he wasn't the only wandering preacher. There were lots of them out and around in that day. But Jesus' method 
It didn't pander to people who followed that sort of thing. It wasn't impressive like some philosophers. Listeners like us today had to work hard to get it, which is why you had to be perceptive as well. It was just a story after all. It's just a story. It's just a story about a farmer and seed and soil. And They'd heard all of the stories before, but to the one with the eyes of faith, it starts to take on meaning. The thing is, these words were hard. They were controversial. They were even divisive words. The thing is, Jesus divided people just about every time he spoke. And actually, it wasn't that it was accidental either. It was his aim. But they were Jesus' words, and they were true. And no matter how hard they might be to hear, the true followers of Jesus bear fruit. I mean, just looking at the fallout from the mess in so many high-profile leaders in the American evangelical church in recent days, right? Jerry Falwell Jr., various other people. Um, And even to that end, the many argue till they're blue in the face that somebody like Donald Trump is a Christian leader, right? When you look at the fallout in people's lives from that, Jesus says you want to know how to know if they are. Look at the fruit. You want to know if the kingdom of God is at work in their lives? Look at the fruit. This isn't a box-ticking exercise. This is that the kingdom of God, when it takes root in someone's life, bears kingdom fruit. We think that we're in, but really, what does that fruit look like? Is there anything different or distinct about your lives and the way you're living because you're living the Jesus way? Is there anything different about your life because you're living the way of Jesus? And would anybody notice that you are? So Jesus tells a story about a sower, seed, soil, and fruit. And I just want to dig into two things today that I think that those are all about. And it's about constants and it's about results. Constants and results. This is what it says, verse 2. He taught them many things by parables, and in his teaching said, Listen, a farmer went out to sow his seed, and as he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell in rocky places where it did not have much soil, and it sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants so that they did not bear, bear grain. Still other seed fell on good soil. It came up, grew, and produced a crop, some multiplying 30, some 60, some 100 times. You see, in a passage that so often finds us as preachers and as Christians rushing on uh, and to talk about why some of the weeds don't grow, we need to start not there, but with the two things that are constant in this passage, and it's these, the sower and the seed. We are in such a rush, aren't we, to get to talk about us in our Christian lives, even whenever we talk to God, we are in such a rush to talk about us, right? And it's important, firstly, because how many things in our world are truly constant? I know that especially that feels prevalent right now in the world in which we live in weeks like this week where it felt like the goalposts moved kind of consistently as the week went on, right? In a world that feels really uncertain right now, it's really easy to ask the question, what on earth in your life is actually constant? Well, here's the first thing that is the sower. It's important to stop here because there are some things in this passage that point to constants and we don't live in a constant world. 
And secondly, because in our Christian lives, this is always the tendency, which is to rush to focus on ourselves, to focus on our inconsistencies, our failures and our sins. We just want to talk about us, 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 us. I used to work as a worship uh, pastor in Carmoney Church, and um, it was an incredible job. I loved it an awful lot. When I came to do this, I was actually gutted for a significant period of time because I loved my job. I loved what I got to do. And one of the things that I did through those years was have interns, and um, Noobs was one of our interns. He's a lovely boy, so, you know, we must have done all right. So, um, Uh, One of the things that I loved about that was getting to teach people as they came in through the front door how to lead worship. And I know that that kind of sounds like a really, you know, a a really pompous thing to say. It's not. Just they would ask, you know, "How how do you do this? Or how do you do that? And how do you prepare a set? And one of the things that I loved so much to be able to do was to talk people through, you know, the way that we lead a worship set is the way that Jesus taught us to pray, right? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, right? We start with him. When we come to worship God, we talk about him. The issue is our tendency is to rush to talk about us. When Jesus taught us how to pray, we talk about him first. And you know what? Sometimes whenever we worship God, we never ever get past that. We're just so undone with his faithfulness, with his goodness, with how true he is, with how much he loves us, that we never actually get to talk about us because we're just so undone with talking about who he is. We start there because of who he is. Some of our friends bought us the most... A beautiful piece of uh, art by a guy called Scott the Painter um, as a housewarming gift, and it's called The House of Belonging. And I love these words that Scott Erickson writes. At the end of the story of the prodigal son, Jesus doesn't say, and please call this the story of the prodigal son. No, we named it that. Out of all the elements going on in this story, we choose to name the whole narrative based around our shame. That's how strong our shame is. We often confuse the voice of shame for the voice of God. The thing is, we need to recognize first that there are constants in this story and that they're good news. There's constants and they're good news. The first thing that needs our attention isn't us, right? I know that comes as news to some of us today, but the first thing that we should be looking at is not us. It's him. It isn't our stuff. It's the two constant things, the sower and the seed. You see, the sower isn't just a farmer. Some translations actually uh, use the language in there to say that he is the farmer. In other words, it's obvious, right? It's a picture of God, the great constant, right? Unchanging, unfailing, unflinching in his faithfulness to who he says he is and in his love for us, right? I just love those words from John Foreman's song, Equally Skilled, right? This is what it says. And both of his hands are equally skilled at ruining evil, equally skilled at judging the judges, equally skilled administering justice. Both of his hands are equally skilled at showing me mercy, equally skilled at loving the loveless, equally skilled at administering justice both of his hands. He is consistent. He is faithful. He's true. And it's not just John Foreman's words that tell me that. These are God's words himself. And the Bible records the first instance of God talking about himself, right? 
And when God talks about himself for that very first time in the Old Testament, it's not words about awesome power or about eternity or cosmic kind of planet aligning type stuff, right? It's not the big stuff out there that God uses to describe himself. This is what it says in Exodus 34 from the message. God descended in the cloud, took up his position there beside him and called out the name, God. God passed in front of him and called out, God, God, a God of mercy and grace, endlessly patient, so much love, so deeply true, loyal in love for a thousand generations, forgiving iniquity, rebellion, and sin. Still, he doesn't ignore sin. He holds sons and grandsons responsible for a father's sins to the third and even fourth generation. It's who he is. The farmer is consistent. God is consistent. You know, Roman coins of the time associated the emperor sometimes with a sower as well. It was imagery that the Romans co-opted too, whose leadership produced the fruit, in inverted commas, of all the benefits that they liked to brag that they had kind of secured for the empire, right? Peace and prosperity and all of that sort of stuff. But here's the thing, right? That society was like our society and completely skewed towards a small minority of people completely inconsistent. But our God, the sower in the parable, the farmer in the field, is the one who is completely consistent to us, each and every one of us. The same love is afforded to all of us, the same faithfulness to all of us, the same mercy to all of us, the same grace, the same direction in our lives, the same spirit afforded to us all. The farmer is constant, but he's not the only thing in the passage, right? He's also proactive, which brings us to the seed, okay? The seed is also constant as well, right? And later on in verse 14, we come to understand that the seed is actually the word, is what Jesus says. Now, there's lots of debate among commentators around what that the word might be, okay? Just to be honest with you, there's lots of interpretations. And for sure, we could think of it as the word of God. We could think of it as the person of Jesus, the word who became flesh after all. There's lots of ways that you could look at that particular word, right? There's different interpretations, but at the end, most of them are acceptable, no matter which one you pick up. Because all of them represent God's constant and consistent stepping toward us with the word of life. Whichever one you pick, they represent God's constant and consistent stepping towards us with the words of life, right? Because that's the thing about words, isn't it? Not every word spoken into your life carries the same worth, does it? Not every word that's ever been spoken to you has carried the same worth, the same weight. Some words just have more weight. They set the course of your life in ways that you can usually only recognize in hindsight. What do I mean? I mean like someone's last words. I mean like the authoritative words of a boss or a line manager. I mean the words of a home office employee to dictate whether someone stays or goes. The words of a judge, the words of a spouse. The words that wound, that spoke about your looks or your weight or your ability, the words that spoke to your potential. Not every word spoken carries the same worth. But this word, Jesus, God's word, the story of all God has done for us is the story of each of our lives. It's a story about what he wants to do in us. It's a story about what he wants to do through us. It's the story about how he sees us. That word, 
carries greatest worth in your lives. These are words of great meaning. Because some words can change the way we are on the inside, can't they? You will have known words like that in your life, positively, negatively. Some words can change the way you are on the inside. And there is no word like God's word. Maybe you've been looking for consistency. Maybe something constant in your life. I know these are changeable days. Here's the thing. Here it is. We start with the sower. We start with the seed because they are constants in a changing world. But secondly, we want to talk about results, right? Here are the two main blocks of text, right, that result or kind of talk about this when it comes to the story. Here it is, right, verses 4 to 8 and then 13 to 20. Listen, a farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path. The birds came and ate it up. Some fell in rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants so that they did not bear grain. Still other seed fell in good soil. It came up, grew, and produced a crop, some multiply, multiplying 30, some 60, some 100 times. And then later on, Jesus said to them, don't you understand this parable? How then will you understand any parable? The farmer sows the word. Some people are like seed along the path where the, seed was, where the word was sown. As soon as they hear it, Satan comes, takes away the word that was sown in them. Others, like seed sown in rocky places, hear the word and at once receive it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. Still others, like seed sown among thorns, hear the word. But the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth and the desires for other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. Others, like seeds sown on good soil, hear the word, accept it, and produce a crop some 30, 60, some 100 times what was sown. Here's the bottom line on this passage. Now that we are getting to talk about us, sower is the same. The seed is the same. It's the soil that isn't. And the crux is that Jesus is trying to say that it's the soil that determines the harvest. It's the soil that makes the difference. Because the farmer is consistent, because the seed is consistent, it's the soil that determines what happens next. And the reality is for our lives, that's hard, right? That's a hard word to say. That's a hard word to even know about your own life, right? As you begin to look at it, that if there are not results in my life, that perhaps it's the reason, the reason is the soil. It's my life. You see, for the disciples walking closely behind Jesus, and I know sometimes we maybe don't think about it this way, but for those that were walking directly behind them, this may have been the low point of their following so far. Right now, they're actually probably feeling a little bit disappointed. They're feeling challenged. This is the low point. I know you think, is it possible to feel low in following Jesus? Of course it is. You see, there's the initial excitement that comes as Jesus comes onto the scene. John the Baptist points to him. Then there's the call in their lives, right? Jesus says those words, follow me, to these guys. They follow him. And then there's the early miracles, right? And all the incredible things that are going on in the world around Jesus as he does what he does. And then things seem to take a turn. As you follow Mark's gospel, it shows what happens, right? The things seem to take a turn, right? The religious leaders begin to turn against Jesus. His own family begin to worry about his sanity. Maybe they began to, too. 
And what's more, the disciples listen to Jesus' stories and they don't understand them, right? They're following behind this rabbi who's promised them the world in many ways. And they don't understand what he says. All of the religious leaders who they would have respected, whether they followed them or not, they would have respected them or turning against them. Jesus' family are worried about his sanity and they don't understand anything that he says. They know the parables can't be taken at face value and that there's so much more to them. They're meant for everyone and yet all they're seeing is that only some are following. Why? Right? They're bound to be asking, why? Why can't their faith, our faith, be made easier? Why doesn't Jesus make it easier for them? Why doesn't he make it easier for us? You see, the kingdom was coming and it really desperately looked like nothing they or we maybe thought or hoped it would. And yet the kingdom comes in our lives when the soil and the seed get together. The kingdom comes when the soil and the seed come together. That is the kingdom coming, right? When whatever is in here, right, in us and Jesus get together. I often think that our lives don't look nearly as sexy as our Sunday gatherings make us think they will, right? You know, like you're here on a Sunday, you're talking about the kingdom, right? Like big words, big language, and then you have an argument with a toddler in the car on the way home, right? That's how anybody else live in that world. You're here and you're like, you know, talking about the big things, the great things. We're going to see in Belfast as it is in heaven. And then you just, you know, you go to work on Monday and you've got like an HR meeting and it goes badly. Or, you know, some aspect of your life just does not look as good as you thought it would when you were in here on a Sunday. And we need to keep standing on the faith that the kingdom of God is at every single intersection of our lives. Work, family, friends, relationships, future, money, sexuality, the lot, right? The kingdom of God cuts across and is engaging with every single part of our lives. And if it's not, here's why. These are verses 13 to 19 from the message. Do you see how this story works? All my stories work this way. The farmer plants the word. Some people are like the seed that falls on the hardened soil of the road. No sooner did they hear the word that Satan snatches away what's been planted in them. That's the first thing, hardness of heart. Reason one why the kingdom of God doesn't necessarily take root and bear fruit in our lives is hardness of heart. The seed fell on hard, rocky ground and it got snatched up. Hardness of heart is the first reason why. It means, in short, Jesus never gets beneath the surface of our lives. On the surface all is well. On the surface we're here, we're attending. On the surface we're engaging. But the truth is that he never gets under the skin of our lives. First reason why is hardness of heart. And then it goes on, verse 16 and 17. And some are like the seed that lands in the gravel. When they first hear the word, they respond with great enthusiasm. And there's such shallow, but there is such shallow soil of character that when the emotions wear off and some difficulty arrives, there is nothing to show for it. The second reason is shallowness. We had a veg patch in our old house. I didn't grow things nearly as successfully as Clarky does. If you've ever had his tomatoes, they are wonderful, right? Uh, if he comes around with a little bag with tomatoes after church on a Sunday, do accept them. Don't, it's not weird. It's, it's brilliant, right? Take the, take the tomatoes. They're amazing, right? 
But we just have this veg patch, and, and I'm not very good at growing things. But we grew, the one thing that's very easy to grow where people tell you is rocket, right? Because it's, like, it's kind of like a weed. You basically can't kill it, right? So we grew rocket. But then in this last year, because everything was really warm around that, like April time, it shot, right? And on the, at the start, you're like, amazing. Look how well this thing is growing, right? Because you just put seed in the ground, you water it. And it's like, oh, amazing. The problem is when something shoots, that it never really fruits the way it should do. When it shot in our veg, like it, it like grew to like massive heights, but it never really turned into rocket in the kind of edible way that you would normally get rocket, pick it, and eat it, right? It was inedible. It was horrible. The stalks were woody. It wasn't like rocket as you would normally have it. When something shoots, it's not healthy. And the thing is that when things are planted in shallow soil, so often they shoot. They don't produce, and then they die. And that's what Jesus is trying to say about a faith like that, that faith, when it burns too brightly, but not deeply, it will eventually burn out. The first reason is, the first reason is hardness of heart. The second reason is shallowness. And this is the third, verse 18 and 19. The seed cast in the weeds represents the one who hear the kingdom, the kingdom news, but are overwhelmed with worries about all the things they have to do and all the things they want to get. The stress strangles what they heard. And nothing comes of it. Hardness of heart, shallowness, and self. Self. That the things of life always have more of our gaze than how Jesus sees them. I say this often about things in my own life, that of course Jesus, Jesus sees it. You know, even the most insignificant or you think insignificant parts of your life, of course Jesus sees it. Of course Jesus is engaged. Of course he's interested. He's just probably not quite as interested in it as you are. Self. Often the kingdom is not bearing fruit as much as we would like it to in our lives because of self. So how do we fix it, right? Because that's the question. We live the opposite. We flip those and we live the other way. So we live with openness, right? Openness that gives Jesus access to all of my, all of my life, right? There's no closed doors. There's no bets that are off limits. There's no bets they say like, Jesus, I give you control of all this. Just don't do this, right? I give you control of my life, just not my finances. I give you control of my life, just not, you know, who I marry. I give you control of my life, not just any decisions about where I'm going. Don't move me there. Don't do that, right? That's the reality of how often we follow, our li- follow Jesus with our lives, isn't it? We compartmentalize the bits that we give him and the bits that we don't. Solution one is to live with openness. Solution two is to live with perseverance, right? That pushes past the first thrill of faith and into deep relationship. If we want to bear kingdom fruit, we've got to persevere as well. And finally, we've got to live with wide eyes. To see the world as it truly is, not just how it appears to be. Parker Palmer has this... um, wonderful phrase which he had lifted from kind of a tradition in Japan which was um, like about sword fighting and the the word the phrase is this soft eyes right 
Because what happens to the human body whenever you encounter something that stresses you um, or, or comes at you is that you, you narrow, right? You tighten up, your vision narrows in and you see a very small window of things, right? Like tunnel vision is probably the way that we would describe it, okay? Uh, and if you've ever been in like a car accident or something like that, you'll know all of a sudden that it's like all I can see is this like little thing that's happening in front of me, oblivious to all the rest of the stuff that goes on. But he argues... Japanese people in that world of that time trained themselves to have soft eyes, to be aware even in times of great stress and great duress, to see not just the thing that was coming at you that was right before you, but to see everything else in your periphery. We need to live our lives in the kingdom with soft eyes. What do I mean by that? I mean that the things that are just before us are not the things that should have all of our gaze. It means that there is lots more going on. If only we could see just left and just right of the thing that we're fixated on. There is lots more going on. I love uh, what Leslie Newbigin had to say. You'll know that I love Leslie Newbigin and, and quote him all the time, and you're probably bored of him by now. But anyway, right? He was a Presbyterian too, which is kind of a good reason to talk about him because he actually had some exciting things to say. But anyway, here's where he is, right? When asked at one stage in his life, as he looked out in the world, if you knew anything about Newbigin, he was a missionary in India. He was there for a significant period of time. He came back to the UK where he had grown up to find that the UK had changed so fundamentally in the time that he had been away that actually it was just the same as reaching India, right? He just saw that it was exactly the same job because people were every bit as far away from faith in Jesus here as they were there. And so when he was kind of talking about this at one stage, he was asked uh, as he looked out into the world today as to whether he was an optimist or a pessimist. And this is how he replied, I'm neither an optimist nor a pessimist. Jesus Christ has risen from the dead. And I love that, right? Because what's he saying here? He's saying that something incredible has happened. And I'm neither an optimist nor a pessimist because Jesus Christ has risen from the dead. Therefore, Something astonishing has happened, and as a result, the world is a different place. You know, farmers only care about the fruit. It doesn't matter to them how many seeds, you know, yield shoots and leaves and all the rest. The only thing that matters is the harvest. Spoken by a true farmer myself. (laughs) But I'm told... That if you are a farmer and your livelihood depends on the things that you grow, you don't care about how many leaves something had. You don't care about how beautiful it looked. All you care about is the harvest. And this farmer is the same. Does my life look and feel any different? Because I'm walking in the way of Jesus. And would anybody else notice would they notice? Is there fruit in my life because I'm following Jesus? And would anybody else notice? I want you to know today, um, I want you to know today that please don't hear that, right? And immediately go to all the things that aren't in order, okay? 
I know that's what we tend to do whenever we talk about this is immediately go like, oh no, well look, at my past and all of this sort of stuff. And you start to go that way, right? And as a coffee geek, right, what I've come to learn is that the coffee that you eventually drink here uh, in your house in Belfast, um, if it's good coffee, right, it tends to taste of what was in the ground. All those miles away in Ethiopia or Colombia or um, Indonesia where it was almost certainly grown, okay? It tastes of what was in the ground. So people often wonder why, for example, uh, there's a coffee type called Ethiopia, Yurgachev. It comes from a section of Ethiopia. And one of the things that it pairs really well with, okay, we're going total full geek now, right? We're down the rabbit hole. It's things like lemon drizzle cake. Why? Because what else grows in the ground where that coffee grows? Lemons. So the coffee tastes of citrus. In other parts of the world where also they they grow things that make chocolate and things like that, what else grows in the ground? They do. So what does the coffee taste like? Chocolate, caramel, those sorts of flavors. You see, it's what is into the ground that determines also the flavor of the fruit. Here's what I'm saying. The fruit of your life will be marked by what's in the soil. The fruit of the kingdom of God in your life will be marked by what's in the soil. Your past, your passions, your failures, your frustrations, they all have the potential to make good soil. But there will only be a harvest when Jesus comes into contact with it. The only way those things get redeemed, the only way those things bear fruit, is if you let Jesus get a hold of them in your life. Good soil has lots of things going on in it. Don't rush today to hear the parable of the sower and rush to think about all of your past failures, all of your sin, all of the stuff that you're stuffing up because it'll be there. And right now, it's probably the first thing in your mind. And we need to get those things in order. That's right. But the first thing we need to do is get him in focus. We don't get those things right and then all of a sudden Jesus takes pride of place in our life. That's not how it works. We get him in focus and then we begin to live in his way and our life begins to bear some of his fruit and as we begin to do that, then the stuff ends up becoming good soil because it becomes the stuff that Jesus redeemed, that Jesus changed, that Jesus meant for good. The kingdom of heaven is like a sower, constant, the one who yields a harvest with our lives if we make our lives a soil for the kingdom to grow.